Yo, this is Axel Rose of Guns N' Roses. Hey, this is Carmen Electra. Hi, this is Daryl Strawberry. What up, though? This is Big Snoop Deal Double G. Hi, this is John Stallard. Hey, yo, Hulk Hogan here. What's up? This is Beyonce. I got a great show lined up for y'all. Hey, yo, yo, yo. Let's get this party started. The Sports Beat. You know what? Let's keep it hot. The Sports Beat is off the chain, man. Ah, yeah. The Sports Beat. Download the podcast now. You're listening to The Sports Beat with Richard Holdridge. What is going on, all you sports fans out there in the Chattahoochee Valley? And welcome to another exciting episode of The Sports Beat with Richard Holdridge. I am so happy to be here on this Tuesday. Just a reminder that you are listening to us on WQEE 99.1 FM, the key out of Noonan, Georgia. And we are brought to you by Ivy Park Sports Bar and Grill, Go Jump and Slide Inflatables, Backwoods Barbecue, and Planet Fitness. And before my new co-host, Corey Bank, comes on the show, Show for the Daily Dash. We have got a great show for you. We're going to recap the Broncos Seahawks game up in Seattle. The Braves play the Giants tonight in San Francisco. That is always a big game for myself. And you voted for it on Twitter. I give you the high school game of the week for week five Glenwood at Lee Scott Academy. Let's go. All right, I got a great show because Gabe Reynolds is going to be joining the show in just a bit. Got a jam-packed week of guests. Tomorrow, I'm going to have the host of the Rookie Contract Podcast, Kate Norm. And I know that the interview was recorded earlier. She is a diehard Seattle Seahawks fan. I would love to get her back on the podcast to talk a little bit about the Seahawks because that surprised me. Last night, I didn't realize that Geno Smith was going to win a game over Russell Wilson. And then on Thursday, I'm going to have Zach Kyleman. He is a host of a podcast called Inside the Walls podcast that's dedicated to everything in the National Arena League. And what a fitting guest as he is going to talk about the offseason and what's going on in the National Arena League. We're just getting started here on the show. I am just so blessed that the radio station up in Noonan has given me this opportunity to do an hour-long sports show. It's been a dream of mine ever since I got on the radio station at 95.7 ESPN Radio in Columbus. And that has always been the goal, is to talk sports on the radio for one hour, two hours, three hours. It doesn't matter. As long as we have the content and we can actually produce a show, I say let's go for it. But right now, with my guests lined up and now my new co-host Corey Bank we're really making it work and we are now in the driver's seat Corey Bank who is my broadcast partner on the high school game of the week for the CW Jabama we are going to have a very busy Friday night as Russell County is taking on Wetumpka and we just have action all over the Chattahoochee Valley don't forget that Friday's show is my Friday Night Lights high school football preview review show for week five you don't want to miss it. I am ecstatic about all the matchups in the Chattahoochee Valley, including some of the matchups on Thursday night. So on that show, I'll recap some of the big games on Thursday night, and then we will preview all the games on Friday. You know, I actually did forget to mention, you know, I not only was keeping up with all these football games over the weekend, I was able to binge watch Cobra Kai. Cobra Kai Season 5 is done. I have seen 
all 10 episodes, and by far, that is my favorite TV show right now that's on Netflix. I love Cobra Kai, not because I'm an 80s kid that grew up with the Karate Kid, but it's a good storyline, absolutely, and Johnny is my favorite character. I know he's the villain from the first Karate Kid. Uh, Johnny is hilarious, and he is my favorite character by far. A close number two is Chosen. Uh, Chosen really stole the show in season five, and I'm not trying to spoil anything about Cobra Kai. It's just a fascinating show. Let's get into this Monday Night Football game because... I seriously thought that the Denver Broncos were the better team. Russell Wilson returns to Seattle and he hears the boos and that was the right decision. I know that you could have easily cheered for him for giving you a Super Bowl, but Russell Wilson wanted to get out of Seattle. It was a dysfunctional organization. Pete Carroll is an old school head coach. There was no dynamic offense. The offensive line was causing Russell Wilson to run for his life. And so Russell Wilson went to the better situation, which he will grow in the Denver Broncos offense. Nathaniel Hackett, he's a brand new head coach. He was taken on a veteran head coach who has won a Super Bowl. He knows what to do with Geno Smith. I thought Geno Smith looked awesome on that first drive. Seattle does have some great players. I don't know how long Jamal Adams is going to be out with that injury. Denver had a chance to win that game toward the end of the game. On a fourth and five, Nathaniel Hackett decided to send McManus out there to attempt a 64-yard field goal, which he's capable of doing. But maybe the decision was to get it a little bit closer. I know it was a fourth and five. The Denver Broncos had their chances. They fumbled inside the goal line twice. You have four trips into the red zone, and you don't come up with points. I thought that Denver outplayed Seattle, but you look at the factors. Seattle was playing at home. For the past decade, Seattle has had an incredible home field advantage. I still don't think Seattle's a good team. I just think that the Seattle Seahawks got a big emotional win beating the Denver Broncos. And and Geno Smith did some good things. Seattle does have some players. I feel that Seattle's offensive line actually got more improved. You know, they got that rookie tackle from Mississippi State, Charles Cross. I think that made the difference. That just tells you, if you spend money on offensive line, you can make anything work for a quarterback and now I'm nervous about week two when the 49ers take on the Seahawks because I really don't know what the 49ers are going to do with Trey Lance I hope he bounces back that's a home game hopefully George Kittle is back Elijah Mitchell is going to be out for two months uh, the 49ers uh, just got to make it work and uh, I just don't know don't know if they're going to sneak into the playoffs but how about the Seattle Seahawks want to know everybody else in the NFC West is 0-1 so congratulations to them like I said not the biggest Seattle Seahawks fan We had the bad blood in the early 2010s, Pete Carroll, Jim Harbaugh. Still one of the most shocking moments in sports that kind of left me sick to my stomach, the Richard Sherman tip in the end zone with Michael Crabtree. You know, I actually have like a top list of the the sports moments that made me gasp, and it also made me lose sleep. 28-3 in the Super Bowl, yeah, I did not sleep that night. Richard Sherman's tip in the end zone, and Robert Ory's shot against the Sacramento Kings in Game 5 when the Kings were about to take a 3-1 lead. Telling you, these sports moments, they really just got me on pins and needles and I end up losing sleep the next day. Right, well, the Atlanta Braves had a very tough weekend. I didn't talk about them on yesterday's show. We only have an hour cramming in all the football scores. There was a lot of football games I missed on yesterday's show. 
But the Atlanta Braves, they blew a save against the Seattle Mariners. They lost two out of three. The Braves lose to the San Francisco Giants three to two last night. Despite the fact that the Braves did put up two in the top of the eighth inning, Spencer Strider takes the loss. He is 10 and five on the season as Alex Cobb goes to six and six. On normal circumstances, I'd be rooting for the Giants here, but the Giants season is over. I mean, this is what the Giants do. They are very inconsistent. They win a World Series one year, and then in the odd years, they don't even make the playoffs and they're a bad team. And then they spend five years rebuilding, had a great season last year, won 106 games, and if they would have beat the Dodgers, I would have been the first person to try to get tickets to the NLCS because anytime the Giants play the Braves, I try to go to that game. I went to the playoff game in 2010, Bobby Cox's last game where the Giants eventually won the World Series that year. But the whole team came out of the clubhouse and they applauded Bobby Cox uh, right when after they were celebrating the victory. And that was an incredible moment. You know, I, I had Justin Dale on the show a couple of months back when the Giants were playing the Braves at Truett's Park back in June. And we talked about the history of these two teams. I want to see the Giants do good. Right now, because the Braves are in a pennant race, personally, I'd rather see the Braves win. Yeah, call what you want. If you want to say I'm a fair-weather fan, I root for both teams. It's like with the Falcons and the 49ers. I root for both teams. If the Falcons actually need the win more than the 49ers, I'll probably end up rooting for the Falcons. I mean, that's just how it is. The Braves really need this game, and then they come back tonight to take on the Giants. A 9:45 start as Kyle Wright, who's been the Braves' best pitcher all year, 17-5 with a 3-2-3 earn run average the Braves fail to get ground on the New York Mets and they're still a game and a half back from the New York Mets after the Chicago Cubs beat the New York Mets last night five to two all right we have a home run watch for Albert Pujols Albert Pujols has hit his 697th home run he has passed Alex Rodriguez, he's had the fourth most home runs in Major League Baseball history. He's going to get to 700. I just know it. You voted for it on Twitter. I give you the high school game of the week for week five. It is Glenwood at Lee Scott Academy, as I would like to call it the Tim Hudson Classic. Glenwood has won two straight. After beating Bessemer Academy in dramatic fashion on Thursday night, 34-7, to Glenwood is now 2-2, two and two, and they take on a Lee Scott Academy team that has only given up six points all year. They beat a talented Chambers Academy team 34-0. They beat Monroe Academy 45-0, and they beat Morgan Academy 48-6. Lee Scott Academy is one of the top teams in the AISA. You could follow me on Twitter at SportsRichardH. So week six high school game of the week, it does include IMG Academy as Central. I'm just going to throw that out as a tease. But yes, that is a possible candidate for High School Game of the Week. All right, I had a little fun on the show yesterday. I actually put a poll up on Twitter as well. Who is going to be the next head football coach at the University of Nebraska? You know, Nebraska has faced some hard times. I actually thought that Scott Frost was a good hire. He went 13-0 at UCF. He was a Nebraska guy. Nebraska's athletic director trev alberts has just got to get past the whole hiring a nebraska guy tommy frazier is not going to come and be the head coach in nebraska 
you got to get somebody that can recruit the South. If Nebraska could take advantage of somebody that's a good recruiter, you have NIL money. They are in the Big Ten. I just don't think Nebraska could get back to their glory days. They wanted somebody that could get them winning national championships again. That That's the expectation. I mean, back when Tom Osborne was the coach. But I thought Bo Pelini did a good job. Frank Solich did a good job. That's the expectations at Nebraska. Eight, nine wins in a bowl game. You need to start there. And I thought that Scott Frost, who didn't really have a great record, he may not have been the problem. But I know we throw names out there like Urban Meyer and Hugh Freeze and Bill O'Brien. I also think John Gruden would be a good college coach. But Nebraska might be too big of a program. And he may need to start at the bottom. All right, it's time to get Corey Bank here on the show for the Daily Dash. And after that, I'm going to have Gabe Riddles on the show as we break down everything that happened over the weekend. Stick around. You don't want to miss it. Welcome back to the Daily Dash with Corey Bank. I got Corey here, my co-host on the show, getting ready to recap that crazy Monday night football game between the Seattle Seahawks and the Denver Broncos. First of all, what did you think of Russell Wilson returning to Seattle and hearing the boos? Well, Richard, we had to expect this. It was so soon insane. His first start was against his ex-former team. But I want to go over what happened in this game as the storyline. Yes, the Seattle Seahawks beating the Denver Broncos 17-16. to That first drive, Geno Smith looked great. And that's what happens when you have a great offensive line. I feel that the Seattle Seahawks upgraded their offensive line by getting Charles Cross, the left tackle out of Mississippi State. And that's something that Russell Wilson did not have all the time in Seattle. There was a lot of times where he was running for his life. They were established from the Legion of Boom and the run game with Marshawn Lynch. Russell Wilson has never really had a dynamic play caller in his NFL career. But now that he's in Denver and he's got an offensive coach, these things are going to take time. I felt that Denver was the better team. They had many opportunities to punch it in, but they went 0 for 4 in the red zone. And then what did you think about that call on the 4th and 5 deciding to let the Broncos kicker McManus go out there and attempt the 64-yard field goal to try to win the game. They're forgetting that it's not mile high, that it's not 5,000 feet above sea level. The the story of this game, they were unable to finish drives twice in this game, and not only twice in this game, twice in consecutive drives. They stall on the one-yard line, uh, ball carriers Melvin Gordon and Javante Williams each fumble the football. And on those four attempts, Richard, four trips in the goal line, they only acquired three points. Russell Wilson went 29-42 for 340 yards passing and a touchdown. So he had a decent day. A major pass catcher for him in this game was number 10, Jerry Judy. A guy they just drafted a year ago, Richard, four catches, 102 yards, and a touchdown. He was averaging 25 yards a catch, a dynamic player. They showed that they could put him out in the slot. They could put him out outside Why The guy is one of the best route runners in football. Now, a guy, despite Javante Williams fumbling the football, he did have 108 all-purpose yards, and then... Defensive playmakers for this Broncos team was Ronald Darby, 
cornerback and Bradley Chubb with two sacks. Linebacker. How devastating is the news that the Seattle Seahawks will probably be without their talented safety, Jamal Adams, for quite some time? Is he left with a very serious injury? Seattle actually managed the farm getting Jamal Adams to there, giving up a lot of draft picks. And Jamal Adams is their best defensive player. Without him in the lineup, how can Seattle actually overcome? I know exactly what you're saying. Jamal Adams is a straight-up ball hawk. The guy is able to survey the field, uh, play different necessary angles to the football, one of the hardest-hitting safeties in the game. An ex-Jet indeed. I don't even understand why the Jets got rid of him. That wasn't even a good uh, trade that they were able to do around that time. But the thing is, is that Jamal Adams, he's a leader. He's able to be great in pass coverage and stuff to run as best as they come at the safety position. All right, so the Denver Broncos are 0-1. They're taking on the Houston Texans in mile high on Sunday. And the Seahawks, 1-0. They are actually in first place in the NFC West. Can you imagine? The Seattle Seahawks, 1-0. The Rams, Cardinals, and 49ers are all 0-1. But the Seahawks are taking on their biggest rival this Sunday in Santa Clara, taking on the San Francisco 49ers who still have to figure out their problems with Trey Lance. But I was impressed with Geno Smith. I think the Seahawks are going to be fine this year, and they're going to play hard for their head coach, Pete Carroll. I mean, he is a Hall of Fame head coach, won a national championship with USC, won a Super Bowl with Seattle. And I know that they're going to miss Russell Wilson, but Geno Smith is a formidable quarterback. He's not going to be the the dynamic playmaker like Russell Wilson but I think the Seattle Seahawks team is going to be fine. They, I think the Seahawks team is going to be fine. They have weapons. DK Metcalf got his money. He's one of the most talented wide receivers. They got. I'd like to see them get Noah Fant more involved. I, I like the touchdown with Will Disley. I think that Rashad Penny will start getting some more uh, opportunities. But Seattle has got to have a tough test taking on the 49ers, who are an eight-and-a-half-point favorite. But I, I think that uh, Seattle is going to be fine. Geno Smith last night was a serviceable quarterback. 23 of 28. Very accurate with his throws for 198 yards and a touchdown. That's a decent day for Geno. He didn't do anything too electric in terms of throwing the ball deep downfield. But he was very accurate, like you said, a game manager. So Rashad Penny averaged five yards per carry last night. If you're the Seahawks, you have to like that 60 yards on 12 carries. Now, in terms of something that we didn't expect in this ballgame, both the tight ends, Colby Parkinson and Will Disley, each had a touchdown. Now, that's huge. They were running double tight sets where they had both tight ends in the game sometimes, and they were able to get these guys out in space. So that was very important. Now, Two defensive standouts in this game, Richard. Jordan Brooks, linebacker, had 10 tackles. He was stout. He was able to get into the secondary and make those necessary tackles. And when it came down to run stuffing near the goal line, he was a leader of that Seahawk defense. Another guy, also a linebacker, who stepped up was Cody Barton, eight tackles. A couple more games that we wanted to talk about. We wanted to highlight what is going on in that Glenwood Lee Scott Academy game for that football game of the week? Yes. 
the high school game of the week, Glenwood against Lee Scott Academy. You know, we had the opportunity to call the Glenwood game against Bessemer Academy. Dallas Crow had three rushing touchdowns, but they're going up against a Lee Scott Academy team out of Auburn, Alabama, who has only given up six points all year. They beat Chambers Academy 34-0 to start the season. Chambers Academy, a very talented team. They beat Morgan Academy 48-6 last Friday. They beat Monroe Academy 45-0 in week two. So something's got to give. Glenwood's offense is is starting to roll. They've, they've won two straight. But Lee Scott Academy is one of the top teams in AISA. What do I got to say, Richard? This Lee Scott Academy team, they are a high-powered juggernaut offense. They average around 40 points per game. They have great athletes at all the skill positions. And when you try to attack them in the trenches, they are nasty. They play till the whistle blows. Their defense is lights out, showing blitz packages and playing mind games with opposing teams' defenses with their high football IQ, great coaching, making them very difficult for their opponent. A great test for the Glenwood Gators this week. Corey, what's going on with the Braves' bullpen? Does Kenley Jansen still need to be the closer? So the Braves' bullpen have had an, a disastrous turnaround. Kenley Jansen has had his struggles down the home stretch of the season through the month of July, the Braves' bullpen were second in the league with an FIP and third in XFIP. Now, from August and beyond, they have been shrinking dramatically, a major drop-off. 17th in FIP and 23rd in XFIP. Well, I believe this bullpen will get their act together in time, the Braves' Don't have much room for error to blow more saves if they're going to have pursuits and make headway of this playoff berth in the NL East division or even the wild card. And they are right now a game and a half back of the New York Mets. And so as we wind down the season, that is going to be a problem. They lose to the San Francisco Giants 3-2 to two last night in San Francisco. And they will take on the Giants later tonight, a 9.45 first pitch. And uh, let's get ready for the end of the regular season for the Atlanta Braves. Definitely going to make the playoffs, but they want to try to get that number two seed so they could avoid having to play the Dodgers or the Mets in that uh, divisional series. That is for sure, Richard. Even though I am a Met fan, this Braves bullpen is gonna, it's gonna, what's going to be the difference maker and then really taking care of business. Kenley Jensen, uh, he had a good year before all that, but let's see what he does in September. Corey, as always, uh, thank you so much. You know, I really appreciate you just being a part of the Sports Beat now as my new co-host. Thank you, Richard. Thank you for having me on. That was the Daily Dash with Corey Bank. We'll be back with Gabe Riddles. Welcome back to the show, and... Making is a bleep 20th appearance. I think you're tied with Rob Frazier. Gabe Reynolds is back on the show and just in time for football season. We had Alabama play a big game against Texas, sneaking away in Austin with a win. And I'm really excited to hear what Gabe has to say about that game. And then the Dallas Cowboys losing to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on Sunday night football, 19 to three. Dak Prescott is going to be out six to eight weeks. Uh, Gabe, uh, how are you doing this morning? I, I really don't know how you feel about both your teams and the way they played over the weekend. But what's going on? 
Man, not much, man. Uh, just just enjoying football. You know, just glad that it's back. I've been waiting all year for it. Uh, we have some great games this weekend, definitely. And man, hey, the NFL college football. It is a great time of year. And if you missed out on anything Saturday and Sunday. Man, you missed a lot. That's all I'm going to say. You missed a lot. Well, let's talk about that Alabama-Texas game because I projected it was going to be an Alabama blowout because Texas fans were pumping their chest saying we want Bama, and I thought that Alabama was going to go in that game mad. But what happened was we had a great football game. I mean, yeah, yeah Alabama had a lot of penalties in that game. Texas had – pretty much Texas had had their best shot at beating Bama, but Bryce Young, he's a re- there's a reason why he won the Heisman Trophy. He scoots down into physical range. Uh, what an exciting game. As an Alabama fan, were you happy with the, the game that they got the win, or were you disappointed with the way Bama played? Uh, it was a little bit of both. I think, uh, I'm, I'm, first off, I'm glad they got the win. Two, I'm glad this happened early in the season as a Bama fan because they got exposed. And and I will say this, Alabama getting the preseason number one after not winning the national championship, they kind of got the big head a little bit. I I will agree that with, with some others and some of my friends that said, hey, either Georgia or uh, Ohio State should have been number one to start the season. I will give that. I will say that, and I will I will stand by that. I'm okay with the rankings right now with uh, Georgia jumping uh, Alabama for number one. But but going back to the game, Alabama played well enough to win, but there were a lot of miscues from Texas because the game was gift wrapped for Texas. When the schedule came out and we saw what time the game was, that benefited Texas. And I'm not making no excuse because think about it. How many times does Alabama play a 12 noon kickoff against a top tier opponent? Those games are reserved for Louisiana Monroe or uh, UT Chattanooga or somebody like that to play Texas at in Austin at noon or 11 a.m. Central time in the Texas heat, that benefited Texas. And Texas had that game, and I'm going to say this, had their quarterback not gotten injured, Texas would have pulled the upset. Do you agree with Texas jumping into the AP Top 25 even after the loss? And is there a such thing as a moral victory? I mean, I can give it to them. And, I mean, they, they, they benefited off. Uh, some teams losing like Notre Dame and, and uh, Texas A&M. But, I mean, they took the number one team in the nation to the wire. How could you not not vote them into the top 25? Now, I'm not saying they should have they should have did what Florida did and jumped from unranked to 12th. But, I mean, they did – they gave Alabama everything they could handle. And – you know, in years past, I will say this, in years past, if it comes down to a kick, Alabama fans, we hold our breath. I'm so glad that Nick Saban went out and got a kicker this year that could kick clutch field goals because 
there's some NFL teams right now that really wish they had a clutch kicker that could have made some clutch field goals. You are absolutely right. Will Rikers was clutch. I believe he kicked two 50-yard field goals in that game, including the game-winning field goal. And Alabama escapes with the win. And I know that the schedule is going to be tough. And I know SEC teams are looking at Bama thinking that they are vulnerable. But Nick Saban is going to get them to uh, correct the mistakes. And uh, Bama is still going to be Bama, a dominant team that's just going to steamroll the rest of the conference. But I honestly believe, and I'm not just saying this because I'm a Georgia fan, that Georgia is right there with Bama. Georgia's deserving of the number one ranking. These two teams are on a collision course to meet in the SEC championship. And Kirby Smart recruits just like Nick Saban. And we're going to see another SEC championship between Georgia and Alabama. I had my reservations on Texas A&M. I thought they were the third best team in the SEC. But after them losing to Appalachian State, I'm out. Texas A&M is not all that great. What did you feel about not just App State beating Texas A&M, but all the upsets that happened over the weekend? Well, I want to go on record and give a shout-out to uh, former uh, Alabama assistant coach Charles Huff, who is the head coach at Marshall, for going into Notre Dame Stadium and pulling the upset against the Irish. Shout-out to uh, Coach Huff. Uh, and and the Marshall Thundering Herd for uh pulling out that win and that upset. I mean that upset. Um, I don't even I don't even call App State and what they did an upset because App State has been ever since they beat Michigan. That ain't the first time they didn't they didn't beat some powerhouse team. Don't nobody want to schedule App State anymore. That's the that's the thing because when you schedule App State. You better you better strap up and you better bring it. Just ask North Carolina last week because there's no way North Carolina and Mac Brown should have left Boone, North Carolina with that with that win. But the way that App State played, they controlled the game. They kept a high powered uh, Texas A&M offense on the sideline. And I'm gonna say this: Jimbo went out and paid all that money in NIL. And they had the number one recruiting class and this and that, and they lost. So Texas A&M, Jimbo is basically a high price, and his team, he's just a high price coach, but he can't win the games he's supposed to win, okay? So maybe they'll pull it back together and, and get back in the mix, but that's going to loom large when it comes to the uh, college football uh playoff rankings and everything else because that loss to App State is going to hurt them down the line. So if Jimbo can't wait for the playoffs to expand the 12 teams, because that's going to be the only way they get into the playoffs is when it expands. I'm going to disagree with you, man, thinking it's going to be a, a Alabama-Georgia SEC championship until Georgia can get past Tennessee and Kentucky in the East and unless until Alabama can prove that they can get past Ole Miss, Arkansas, and Texas A&M, we got to hold off and saying they on a collision course because it's at least it's at least two or three landmines in there that may that may uh sneak up and bite one of those two teams. And don't count Florida out, man, because remember Georgia got to play Florida in a neutral site, and 
we still can't rule out Auburn. Yeah, I know their coaches, you know, they ain't really too fun on their coach right now, but let, let, let's let hold off saying them the two teams that's going to be in the SEC championship because if the SEC this year is, is wide open on both sides. It's parity on both sides. And Kentucky going into Florida and basically beating Florida the way that they did, I, I don't put nothing past neither nobody right now. You're absolutely right. The SEC is deep. They had a lot of teams that actually had great wins. I was a little disappointed with Florida. After them beating Utah, I thought that Florida was going to be a team that was going to compete in the SEC East with uh, Billy Napier because Anthony Richardson was just playing on another level, but played Kentucky different. And how about that job that Mark Stoops has done at the University of Kentucky, beating Florida three times, and Mark Stoops has won four straight bowl games. I tell you what, Gabe, I know we were talking about who could possibly be the next head coach at Nebraska after they fired Scott Frost in Georgia Southern, gets the upset in Lincoln. I think Mark Stoops, I would put his name in the hat for a potential candidate to uh, be the next head coach in Nebraska. If I'm Mark Stoops, I'm not leaving Kentucky for Nebraska. To me, Nebraska is a step down, and it's basically like starting all over again. He, I, I, I think Mark Stoops may – if Mark Stoops is going to leave, I think he would leave to go to Auburn or another high-profile job. But to go from Kentucky to Nebraska, I think that's a step down. The person, if I'm Nebraska, the person I, I got on speed dial and I'm reaching out to gauge interest is Gary Patterson, who is uh, the special assistant to uh, Steve Sarkeesian in Texas, or I'm reaching out to the Iowa State Cyclones uh, head coach, Matt Campbell, just to gauge his interest. But if I'm Stoops, I'm in the best conference in the, in the nation right now. If I can go out here and I can, if I can hang, hold tight and win the SEC championship or win the East, I don't want to leave and then be in the same 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 side of the uh, spectrum with Ohio State. That's too much work right there. But give it to Gary. I would I would definitely call Gary Patterson because of the what he did at TCU and how he built that up, and he's got the recruiting ties, he's got the coaching mentality and the acumen to rebuild that program at, uh, at Nebraska, that would be the first call I would make. And if not him, then some young up-and-coming uh, up coach. Matt Rule might be another call because I don't know if he's going to last this year at Carolina. Anytime a high-profile head coaching position in college opens up, I always go to the wish list because I like to have fun with it. I threw out Urban Meyer. I threw out John Gruden. I mean, is that wishful thinking, or is that a possibility? If, if Nebraska wants to win, and if they want to win big, why not try to offer the job to Urban Meyer? I don't think Urban's going to ever go back into coaching because of what he did with Jacksonville. I think that really messed him up. I think, and, and it happened so soon, and these recruits now, they saw it. They heard about it. Everybody heard what happened. And I don't really think anybody's going to touch Urban Meyer after that right there. John Gruden, he may have to go to route of Lane Kiffin and humble himself and go take a smaller college job before getting a chance with a high-profile college job because Gruden definitely wants to get back into the NFL. 
I don't think he's going to go for that. Bill O'Brien, as an yes. Alabama fan, hey, we will gladly give Bill O'Brien to Nebraska and let him do what he do as he wishes so we can get a real OC in there that could get back to the high explosive, high octane offense that we were accustomed to with Lane Kiffin and uh, Steve Sarkeesian. So, yeah, we, we'll, we'll, I mean, we'll definitely get rid of uh, Bill O'Brien for that. Yes, his name was actually being thrown out as a possible candidate. Um, that's always fun anytime you have an opening. Uh, but let's go ahead and switch gears to the NFL because uh, that Sunday night football game, I mean, you're a Dallas Cowboys fan. and I, I, I don't know what's going through your mind right now. Like, where do you go from here? Losing to Tampa Bay 19-3. to Dak Prescott's going to be out six to eight weeks. What was your thoughts on that game against Tampa Bay? And can the Cowboys get off the mat and respond? Or or what is the season going to look like for Dallas? It's going to be tough, man. Like, Jerry Jones, as the GM, he just needs to let it go. There, I mean, I, I get it. You paid Dak all that money. But you also took away his weapons. You, you, took away, you took away his weapons. You didn't upgrade the line. So Dak getting hurt last night. He had no time. He had no protection back there. He had no time to, to, to get rid of the ball. You had no receivers. Like Amari Cooper, I, I get it. Uh, Cedric Wilson Jr., he was, he was one of your top, top uh, producing receivers last year. You let him walk. You didn't, uh, you didn't strengthen the old line last year. You basically sabotaged the season because you looking for a way to get rid of your coach. But by doing that, you also have now hurt Dakota for a third straight season. So, and then you don't have a quality backup. Nothing against uh, Cooper Rush. Even with Cooper Rush coming in there, he still has nobody to throw to. The the start that he had last year against Minnesota, he at least had weapons. You can't. He don't have weapons anymore. Zeke, he can't run because the old line can't block. So. I don't know what Jerry is doing, but he's like, it's Super Bowl or bust. Like, Jerry, we can't get to the Super Bowl if we don't have weapons, if we don't have if we if we don't have a defense. Like, somebody tell uh, Diggs, somebody needs to help Diggs out because he can't cover his shadow right now. And teams are going to pick on that all season long. So with the Dallas Cowboys, is there a possible chance that they could trade for Jimmy Garoppolo? Nah. Nah. You, you got to give up too much to do that. They, yeah, and they don't have access to get Garoppolo, but here's the thing. Even if you get Garoppolo, he still don't have protection. He still don't have weapons. So I don't think it would matter who you got. If you don't have the weapons, it's not going to matter. One thing that I was very impressed with with the Cowboys is their defense. Micah Parsons is still a great defensive player in his second year, and and they really just need to continue doing what they're doing on defense with with defensive coordinator Dan Quinn. Parsons is a beast. I, I, I'm gonna give. I, I will give that. I, I will go with Parsons all day, all night. Parsons is definitely a beast, and he's about the only thing right now that's keeping the Cowboys in there. Just, you got. You're gonna have to turn them loose and let them go, and hopefully he can get. He can elevate the defense with his play, and that'll be enough to. Uh, the defense is going to have to win win games for the Cowboys this year. 
All right, let's talk about the two teams that represented each conference in the Super Bowl. The Rams just embarrassed themselves on Thursday night. I feel the Rams are a one-hit wonder, had no O-line. Matthew Stafford had no time to throw. And Cincinnati loses to Pittsburgh after they were down big, but Joe Burrow throwing five picks. I mean, we're definitely going to have two new representatives in the Super Bowl this year, right, Gabe? Yeah, but uh, um, I, I, I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't keen on the Bengals last year. I think they just benefited from uh, luck here and there. But I mean, I will give the Bengals credit. They played Pittsburgh down to the wire. Uh, mm-hmm. That score that they that uh, Burrow threw the chase with two seconds left in regulation to force overtime. That that was key right there, and and that was that was really big. The fact that Burrow threw five interceptions and they still had a chance to win the game, that's credit to him because his O-line is is not giving him any type of protection. And he's still willing his team and, and getting them, keeping them in position to to win. Um the Rams, I don't know, man. Like I'm with you. They were they they definitely traded and went all in to win the Super Bowl last year. And that was it, because there's there's no way you let Von Miller go because the Von Miller and uh Aaron Donald together, that was that was what almost won you to, that was really what won you the Super Bowl was that defense right there. Cause they kept getting pressure on Burrow. But they got exposed um the other night against Buffalo. I think Buffalo is gonna be a, a team to watch out for this year in the AFC. Oh, everybody's wanting that rematch between the Bills and the Chiefs in uh, the AFC Championship game. And, you know, they changed the overtime rules this year. I mean, I I think right now Buffalo and Kansas City are the two best teams in the AFC. Out of the NFC, I know it's early. Tampa, Tampa Bay looked good, but Minnesota looked good. Don't be surprised if the Minnesota Vikings make the playoffs this year and make a deep run in the NFC. Uh, I think the Vikings will make the playoffs, but I, I I'll hold off on saying a deep run. I mean, it's Kirk Cousins. It is, but you know, he'll, he'll, Justin he'll, Jefferson. He'll choke. And let, let's hope uh, if if you had Justin Jefferson on your fantasy team, you had a great day. Uh, he he is just on another level. I mean, and Dalvin Cook. I mean, Minnesota does have weapons. Uh, they, that was a statement win against a Green Bay team without Devontae Adams. I'm telling you, it's hard to pick who's coming out of the NFC, but the AFC is stacked. You got a lot of great teams in the AFC. Oh, yeah. I I think the toughest division right now is going to be the AFC West. Whoever comes out the AFC West is, is, uh, they're going to, it's going to, I think it's going to be two teams from the West, uh, Kansas City. I'm not too sold on the AFC South. Uh, and then you got, I think Buffalo, Buffalo is going to come out the AMC East. Miami might give them a, a run for their money, and then you still can't uh, roll out New England. But the West, they're going to beat up on each other. And whatever Denver, the Chargers, the Raiders, when they get out of their division to play everybody else, they're going to give everybody, they're going to be give everybody a run for their money. What was the most surprising thing that you witnessed over this NFL weekend? Jacksonville really surprised me in how they played with their new coach. Uh, the Giants really surprised me 
and how they played coming back from 13 down against the Titans yesterday. I was actually at that game, so it was like, wow. Uh, having a healthy Saquon Barkley really helps. I think Jacksonville is going to surprise some people. I'm even more – I'm actually surprised at how the Texans played yesterday without Deshaun Watson and with Lovey Smith at the helm down there. You can't really rule out – Chicago played really good and how green – I was surprised at really how Green Bay would look. I, I did not expect them to look that bad. But then everybody was talking about they looked that bad last year in the first game, and then we all know what happened after that. Well, let's talk about the Chicago 49ers game because the 49ers played a terrible game. And me as a 49ers fan had just is talking about, like, Trey Lance is horrible. But then I look back at, you know, the field conditions. They're playing on the road. No George Kittle. Elijah Mitchell gets injured in the second half. Do the 49ers need to bench Trey Lance and start Jimmy Garoppolo? Not yet. Um, it, it was one game, but I will say that keeping keeping Garoppolo on the roster doesn't do anything but make Trey Lance look over his shoulder consistently. And then every time uh, Lance makes a mistake or does something uh, that hurts the team, it is magnified a lot in the media because now it's not, people are going to be asking, hey, do we need to bench Trey Lance? Do we need to start Garoppolo? So it really, you really actually hurt Trey Lance more than you helped him by re-signing Garoppolo. If you were going to let him go, you should have just let him go. If you were going to re-sign him, then you might as well start him because saying, hey, we're going in a different direction and Trey Lance is the starter, and then you re-sign Garoppolo, you didn't do nothing, you didn't you didn't do nothing but but uh style his progress and hurt his growth all right and waking up this morning here in georgia because this podcast is based out of georgia the falcons are really just taking it from the media they've been made fun of they've had memes all the games including a game against your dallas cowboys where the falcons had a 39 24 lead with like four minutes left to go the atlanta falcons just cannot close out games and i've tried to Look back at the tape. It's not just the Super Bowl losing after having a 28-3 lead. It's looking at all these games. They play way too conservatively. The Falcons' defense doesn't really have any pass rushers or game breakers, and so their defense just gets pinned back, and Jameis Winston tore that defense apart on the Saints' last three drives. I kind of called it. I knew when the Falcons went up 26-10, to I was thinking, okay, here we go again. They're going to play tight and the Saints are going to come back. I didn't think the Saints would win. I knew the Saints would come back to make it interesting. But once again, the Falcons continue to Falcon. Yeah, that one that one was tough because I, I, I the, the head coach and the defensive coordinator and now your starting quarterback came from the Titans. So I got a chance to watch them uh, when, they were, when the three of them were here. I do think that Mariota is going to be on a very short leash uh, this year. And it's not going to – I think if Mariota continues to struggle, they're going to make that change to Desmond Ritter. Ritter has – he's still learning, but if you're going to – I I think Ritter is a better quarterback than Mariota. But Pitts is a great tight end, but you don't have any good receivers on the outside, so it's easy to double him 
in the in at the tight end position, but that means your receivers are going to have to go out and make plays. The problem is Mariota is not the same Mariota that he was when he was here in Tennessee. Remember, Mariota lost his job to Tannehill. Then he left Tennessee and went to uh, Vegas, and he was a backup for Carr out there. So now he's back being a starting quarterback. It's only a matter of time before Desmond Ritter gets that job. And I think once they put Ritter in the game as the starting QB, things will start moving along well and better for the uh, Atlanta Falcons. All right. Is this going to be Bill Belichick's final year? I No. I think Bill and Brady got a thing going on as to who's going to retire first. It's almost like that Shaq Kobe thing, like, I won one without you. You needed me to win. Because Brady has already won one. And Belichick hasn't won without Brady. So I think Belichick is trying to prove that he doesn't need Brady to win. So I think uh, I think Belichick is going to try to win. He's trying to go out on top. I don't know. The way the Patriots played against the Dolphins, and you got – Matt Patricia calling the plays. You got Joe Judge. I mean, Bill Belichick just likes to bring back old assistants. But I think that the Patriots are just a different team without Josh McDaniel as their offensive coordinator. And this is going to be the test of time to see if Bill Belichick can win without Brady. I know that the Patriots got to the playoffs last year with Mac Jones, but who knows? It is early, but the Dolphins actually are looking pretty good. And that hire of Mike McDaniel and getting ex-49ers like Raheem Mostert and, and running that offense, maybe that was the juice that actually got Kyle Shanahan going is having Mike McDaniel as an assistant. Yeah, and, and, and you know, Patricia was a was a defensive guy. He wasn't he was never an offensive guy. So moving him over to be the OC or the call plays, just like what are you thinking? What 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 are you thinking? So that that one that one was questionable from the jump. Hey, Gabe, I got to ask you a question. Have you have you been watching this Lakers documentary on Hulu? No, I, I haven't, but I need to. I haven't watched it, but I need, I need to. I've heard, I've been hearing about it. So, you know, the winning time on HBO Max, I mean, that was the fictionalized version of the Los Angeles Lakers. And I'm not a Lakers fan, but I find the Lakers fascinating. I mean, their ratings are massive, whether you root against them or root for them. And, yeah, it's great. Yeah, You should definitely watch it. It talks about the turmoil. You know, the Showtime Lakers making that transition to the Lake Show with Eddie Jones and Nick Van Exel and then Dr. Buss doing whatever it took to get Shaq in L.A. And, really, they didn't start winning championships until Phil Jackson got there. I mean, clearly. Even Shaq and Kobe could not do it by themselves. It had to be a Hall of Fame coach like Phil Jackson and – and then uh, I think next week I, I want to see them go into the Kings rivalry. I think that that is going to be uh, – that's part of the story. I think that the Kings rivalry is fascinating, especially in 2002 when I feel – I still feel to this day that Sacramento was the better team in 2002. But, uh, yeah, it's something that you should definitely check out. Yeah, uh, you know, it, it's funny you say that they didn't they – didn't, it, it took Phil to get there because they had a Hall of Fame coach. And Rudy Tom Janovich. But Rudy T couldn't get them to uh buy in and play together. That, that was that was that was the issue. That was part of the issue. They couldn't get them to uh play together. So they, yeah, it definitely took uh it definitely took Phil Jackson to get there for them to start playing. And but I, they, I definitely gotta check out that documentary though. 
Oh, yeah. Remember, the coach before Phil Jackson was Dale Harris. Dale was first. Then Phil. Did Rudy come after Phil left after the first three-peat? And then they brought Phil back? Yes. Because Dale Harris was there with Nick Van Exel and uh, Eddie Jones and all of them. The Lake Show, yes, yeah, Cedric Sabalos, Vladi Divots. I mean, that was that was a fun team. That was that team wasn't going to win a championship, but that was a fun team. Yeah, that that was di- that one was different. That was a fun team because Kobe and Van Exel and uh, Eddie Jones couldn't get along. They didn't want to defer to Kobe. Well, remember all four of them: Shaq, Kobe, Eddie Jones, and Nick Van Exel all made the All Star team in '98. Because remember, Kobe was voted in by the fans. He didn't have the numbers. His rookie year, he only averaged like right. seven, seven points a game. Right. Yeah, I, ooh, yeah, I, mm, I remember all of this. I'm gonna I have, to, I'm gonna, have to, I'm gonna have to check that out. I, I gotta go check that out. Oh yeah, you definitely got to do it. Here we are, Gabe. It's football season, and we're talking about basketball. That just tells you our love for basketball. And <laughs> come, come NBA time, I'm telling you, Gabe. I, I def, definitely want to have you back on the show. I do have to ask you. Are you planning on going to that uh, game a couple of days after Christmas, the Cowboys and the Titans in Tennessee, in, in at Nissan Stadium in Nashville? I am I'm strongly considering it, depending on how the season is looking for the Cowboys. Because I figured, looking at the schedule, I, I think that you would definitely try to make a, an appearance. You know, I normally have Brad Page here on the show, and he's a Titans fan. I would love to get both of you on in preparation for the Cowboys-Titans game. Uh, when when it comes to that, but yeah, of that, I pretty much knew. You know, you live in Nashville and you're a Cowboys fan, and that's that's one of those games. And same with me. You know, the 49ers play the Falcons this year. Uh, I'm not gonna be able to go because I got work. But uh, yeah, the, the 49ers return to Atlanta for the first time since 2016. I always try to make it to that game. It's the Kyle Shanahan Bowl. I mean, it's gonna be very intriguing. Yeah. I, I, you know, I was really hoping that that game would have been uh, earlier in the season. Uh, but by the time they play, somebody's going to be out of contention for the playoffs, and then someone may be in contention. So it's just it, it's going to be one of those games I'm going to have to wait, do a wait and see. And, Gabe, I have to ask you, before I let you go, are you irritated with Stephen A. Smith and how he trolls Cowboys fans and he – continues putting up those memes of all those crying Cowboys fans from the playoffs last year? No, because, I mean, what have we done to to not not be there? What what, what have we what have we done to not uh, prove Stephen A. wrong? So, I mean, it's two things. You either love the Cowboys or you hate the Cowboys. And what have we done to dispel any of the rumors or anything, do anything different? So, nah, I, I mean... We just gotta, just gotta eat crow, continue to eat crow. I mean, Stephen A. is 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 he's on point. I can't be mad at him. You have to admit, you have to admit it's funny. the The younger guy that's got the, his arm around the girl that's not even his girlfriend. That is funny. Oh, it's it's so funny. But my favorite one is the the woman who they show the score where the 49ers were up twenty three to seven. The look on her face, like she is so sickened and so perturbed with what's going on right now. And then, oh, and you gotta love the one, uh, the young girl who's crying, where Tony Romo said, "Oh, it's kind of early for tears." Yeah, I mean, everybody knew like that was that was our chance. But hey, when you when you under when you underestimate your opponent. 
That's what happened. Us as fans, if we ever go to these sporting events, we got to just keep our emotions in check because we don't want to be a meme that goes viral. Right. I mean, I'm sure it was some. I'm sure some people that were memes yesterday at that Titans Giants game. I was there, and I was I was actually surprised at how many Giants fans were at the game. There were almost more Giant fans. Like it was, it, it was a lot of Giant fans there. Put it like that when they scored on that two point conversion, it got real loud in Nissan Stadium. Oh, Gabe, as always, you are always a great guest. And I'm more excited now having you back on the show now that we have football season. Uh, Definitely want to have you back on the next couple of weeks, especially when we get into the big Alabama games and the Cowboy games and and your insight on sports and just being a passionate fan for both teams is really fascinating. Oh, man, hey, as always, man, it's always a pleasure to be on the show. Always a pleasure to come in and talk sports with you and looking forward to being back. All right, that was Gabe Reynolds. I got to go back into the archives and count up how many appearances he's had. I believe this is his 20th appearance. Uh, he is tied with Rob Frazier. Uh, Brad Page is kind of right behind you guys. But uh, pretty much that's my big three of, of guests. And uh, Gabe Reynolds is always a great guest. And, and Gabe, we're approaching our one-year anniversary. You came on the show in January. Uh, just in time to talk about the 49ers Cowboys in the playoffs and we keep going strong. I, I told you, man, I'm, I'm all, I'm a great love being here. Love doing it. Talking sports from basketball, football, baseball, even some hockey, man. We, hey, we can do this all day. Exactly. We were talking about our, our show prep. I pretty much said all we had to do was cover Alabama and the Cowboys. And we could probably have a show that the last about 30, 45 minutes. I mean, so, Yeah, great job, and uh, thank you, everybody, for listening to another episode of The Sports Beat with Richard Holdridge. Stay tuned for tomorrow's show, as I will have Kate Norum and, of course, Corey Bank, as always. Have a great rest of your day, everybody. You've been listening to The Sports Beat with Richard Holdridge. We invite you to download and subscribe. You can find us on Anchor, Spotify, Google Cast, Stitcher, iTunes, or wherever fine podcasts are found. Thanks for listening. Feel free to share with your friends and family. This has been the Sports Beat, with your host, Richard Holdry. Produced in Columbus, Georgia. Extra production provided by J.D. Matthews. All opinions stated herein are those of the host and do not represent the opinions of Anchor Podcasts. Copyright 2020, all rights reserved.